Amen. And children ages uh, three through first grade are welcome to participate in Children's Church. You'll be dismissed out the doors to your right. And I want to ask the rest of you to open your Bibles to the book of Malachi, um, right at the end of, of chapter two. And if Malachi is something new to you, it's right at the very end of your New Testament, right before the New Testament begins, the Gospel of Matthew. We're, we're studying this book because of its value uh, to, uh, well, it's, it's in the Bible, right? Uh, it's value to all of us, but in particular to a culture where, you know, the number one complaint about the church is hypocrisy, uh, the inconsistency where we, we say one thing, we do another. And uh, over and over again, God uses the prophet Malachi to address uh, some of the hypocrisy, the inconsistencies that were existing among God's people 2,400 years ago and, and then, you know, even today. And what does it mean for us who um, want to live with integrity, with authenticity? What does it mean for us as we look at this passage to be able to admit the places where we haven't done that, to repent, to believe, to be honest about that, to be transparent, and then to show people the glory of Christ, to show them what justice looks like, what mercy looks like. And the gospel is the only hope we have to live lives uh, that reflect that. So let's stand in honor of God's word. I want to look um, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 2. You'll notice this is an odd break. Um, sometimes the, the places where our Bibles get their chapters and verses are, are somewhat strange. Um, you know, those, those are arbitrary to say the least. Uh, but here we're picking up in the end of chapter 2. Verse 17, I'm going to read through uh, chapter 3, verse 5. This is God's word. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the, of the covenant who you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the integrity and the truthfulness that it contains. And I pray that you would, by your spirit, open our hearts, uh, lay us bare, help us be honest about our, our inconsistencies, our hypocrisies, and Lord, make us a people who more and more walk closer to you and more conformity with your kingdom so that more and more people would see in us a reflection of Jesus, our just judge, our merciful uh, older brother. 
who exchanged his life for ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, there's, um, uh, boy, I, I just don't know if there's been an age. I, I don't know if there's been a time when, uh, you know, humanity hasn't been uh, in its uh, condition under the fall when we haven't had this longing, this ache for justice that seems unresolved, uh, where we ask, where is the God of justice? And you know, that, that is on the lips of God's people. Uh, it's an ancient plea. It's an ancient lament, uh, this, que- this question of how long, O oh Lord. And you see it over and over and over again in, in the Bible. Um, one of the places that you see it is in one of the other minor prophets in Habakkuk where uh, God's people are asking, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that Justice is perverted. Um, pleas like that are, are really very, very common throughout the Bible. You can read them in the Psalms and elsewhere. And they're the, the heart's cry in view of a world full of unfairness and injustice, uh, of, of saying there's got to be a better way. And what that cry is actually saying is, um, is that, God, I believe that you are just, and I believe on, that you are on your throne, and yet I, I can't live, I can't exist with this incongruity between reality and, and what I know about you. Please act. And we learn this, um, this desire really very early on. I mean, what, what um, gosh, what kindergarten class isn't filled with the, the cry of, hey, that's not fair, or, you know, he took mine, or, you know, Sally or Joey did this or that or the other, because we have a very deeply instilled sense of fairness. And that comes from God. And, um, and when we cry out for God's uh, justice, when we cry out for, for him to act, we are showing and manifesting a heart that believes he is just. And therefore, therefore you know, this cry for how long, O oh Lord, and God, we, we, where is your justice? There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's a holy plea. It's a holy lament. Uh, and here's, here's the proof of that. Uh, if you don't want to take my word for it, all you have to do is flip to the book of Revelation. And we see that even in glory, right now, this cry, how long, O oh Lord, is going before the Father's throne from those who are before his throne. Those who are in glory, though, actually they're the martyrs. Those who have lost their lives and they are pleading for justice, they want vindication, and they are crying out as that fifth seal is opened, Lord, how long until you act? How long until there's justice on the earth? And the Lord explains there's a reason for this timetable. There is a reason for delaying uh, the execution of his justice. Um, So I want to make that point really, really clear. To, to cry out and to pray, God, how long before you act? And where is the God of justice? There's nothing wrong with that lament because it actually demonstrates faith in God's character as a just God. But 
here's where Malachi's audience took a dreadful turn. They went from questioning God's timing to questioning God's character. Do you want to know how to make God weary? Do you want to know how to wear God out? Question his character. Say to God, God, you're not just. In fact, I know, I know how it is with you. You actually favor the wicked. You actually consider what is evil to be good. And when that is in the Lord's ears from the hearts of his, uh, from the, you know, the mouths of his loved ones, that wears God out. Um, listen to you know this this expression in Malachi where in verse 17. God says, you've wearied the Lord with your words. And they're saying, well, what do you mean? How do we, you know, mourn you out? And, they, and God says, when you say that all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them. You see what they're doing? They're questioning God's character. They're not, being, they're not saying, God, we understand that you're being tolerant of the wicked until such a day that, you know, you do bring justice. They're saying, God, you approve of wickedness. You even reward, um, you know, the, the evil. And God says, no, I won't have anything to do with that. In fact, you know, in Isaiah chapter 5, God says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Listen to this. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Um, God says that there's a woe, there's a curse on those who call evil good and good evil. Um, In Deuteronomy, you can read um, about this curse that falls on those who do the same thing. So woe to them, curse to them. And and here are God's people basically taking God's words of woe and cursed are those who call evil good and good evil. And then ascribing that to God. Woe to you, God. Because you're approving of those who are wicked. And cursed be you, God. Do you understand what the, that that's the implications of, of flipping that around? Now, here's, here's the ridiculousness of that. You and I would not know what is fair. I mean, that kindergarten class wouldn't have an, an appreciation for what is fair unless God put that sense of equity and justice in our hearts in the first place. It's the only way you and I can even know what is just. It just sort of adds further insult to the injury of, of saying, God, woe to you for calling good evil and evil good. We're, we're using the same standard of justice that he gave us to accuse him, uh, which, which, of course, is folly. So against all of this, God says that, hey, you know, one day you don't have to worry. Even though you don't understand the timetable, even though we don't see the ins and outs of why in his forbearance he is letting you know, the sins go unpunished for now, he says, here's the, here's the final end to wickedness. There will come a day, and we read about it again in Revelation, there will come a day when every single sin will be paid for and reconciled and everyone will recognize the worth and the majesty of God's fairness and his justice. Um, in Revelation 15, the, the song of Moses and the Lamb says, Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. 
Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your holy name? Uh, We even put it on the wall back there. All nations will come and bow before you, will worship before you. Because of his justice, because of his mercy, because of his love. And, you know, everything will be brought to light and all those gaps will be closed. And finally, uh, justice will be served on the earth. So we don't understand the timetable always. We can question the timing. But woe to us if we question God's character. God says he's a just God. In fact, he gives us the standard of justice by which we go, you know, what's going on with this, with this world, what's going on in my life. And again, uh, we come to this point in Malachi where it's good for us to remember that Malachi began by telling um, God's people, God used Malachi to remind his people that he has always loved them. And so here is a loving God exposing their hypocrisy, exposing their inconsistency, and saying, how in the world can you, can you say this in light of my justice? And so now God's going to show them uh, the way that love brings justice. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, he tells them that the Lord that they desire will come. He's going to send his messenger who will prepare the way before me. And then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, and other translations read, in whom you delight, this one that you so long for, um, you know, that during Advent we sing, come thou long expected Jesus, this one that we, we really earnestly want to come and make things right, and he's going to come. But then in verse 2 it says, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Um, so, this one is going to come, right? This messenger, he's going to come to his temple, and he's going to, um, he's going to be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. It's actually kind of interesting. Who is this person? Some people look and they point and they say, well, it's going to be John the Baptist. And in fact, John the Baptist does say he's the messenger who's going to make the way, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, right? But it's not just the messenger who... John, in, in the form of John the Baptist, it's also the one who brings the message, the one who comes to the temple, is Jesus himself. He's the one that everybody's desiring. He's the Messiah who's going to come. He's the anointed one. And so really you've got both in, in one person. And so when John the Baptist comes, in Matthew chapter 3, we read, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear this threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus is coming, the one that you desire, who's going to bring justice to the world. He's coming. He's coming with fire. He's going to be like this one who separates the wheat from the chaff, And everybody who hears those words, according to John the Baptist, according to Jesus, and according to Malachi, need to be asking, well, good, he's coming, but but if I'm honest with myself, which group am I? Which group do I belong to? Am I part of the the wheat that he's going to gather into his barns, or am I part of the chaff that he's going to blow away? Am I, you know, looking at Malachi's words, am I, uh, he's the refiner of silver and gold. Am I the, the pure metal or am I the dross? He's the, the launderer's soap. He's the, the fuller's soap. Am I the, 
the, the pure spotless garment, or am I the dirt that needs to be washed away? Jesus is saying there's a storm coming. There is a storm coming, right? Sandy? And this, you know, this uh, nor'easter, and, and who knows what the heck's going to happen all along the East Coast, and everybody's getting ready. You know what everybody's asking along the, the, the Atlantic seaboard right now? Is my house going to weather this storm? Is my business going to stand up to this judgment? And I better get my house in order. I better get my business in order. I better board up the windows. I better get the extra stock of water. I better get the extra batteries. I better get the flashlights. I better get the generator. I better get, you know, you fill in the blanks. I have to get ready for what's coming. What's coming? God says that his judgment is coming. And the reality is, is that who, who of us could stand? I mean, that's the words of Malachi. Who can stand when that judge brings that refining fire? Who of us is going to be able to, to have a clean hand and a, and a pure heart in that day? I, in verse 5, God says, I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who do fraud, laborers of their wages who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice, but do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So it's Jesus that's coming. He even says that uh, I am the judge and my judgment is just. Jesus says that in John chapter 5. So on the one hand, we think, hey, great, it's Jesus who's the judge. I like Jesus. I know he's fair. And he comes to the the defense of those who are weak and, you know, and, uh, and so on. But if I'm honest with myself, I don't have clean hands and a pure heart. I don't have clean hands and a pure heart. Neither do any of us in this room have clean hands and a pure heart. God says that he's going to come near and testify against the sorcerers, the adulterers, the perjurers. Uh, You know, well, what do you mean by that? Um, I'm not a sorcerer. I'm not an adulterer. Well, Think more broadly. Yeah, you might not be standing over your cauldron with your Latin incantations of sorcery or whatever, but how, I mean, what, what is, what was that phenomenon all about in the ancient world? A manipulation of reality. Trying to get your way, whatever the cost. And we do that all the time. We try to manipulate our world. We try to put things in order and control things and pull this string and that string and get this person to that thing for us. Why? It's all good, good for us. We have our little, our little incantations and our little spells and these little things that we whisper, these little things that we say because we know, we know, our family members, our coworkers or whatever, if I say this to that person, that's going to push their button. I'm going to get my way. I'm going to manipulate my world. I'm going to... I'm going to cast my spell. We're sorcerers. We're adulterers. You know, yeah, maybe we use our bodies to get illicit sex. That's certainly a possibility, and that needs to be repented of. Absolutely. But also use our bodies in the big picture of adultery, which is simply this. I'm going to use my body to get what I want. Maybe I want attention. Maybe I want approval. All that falls under that category of adultery in Jesus' mind. It's all lusting for what I want. I'm going to use my body to get what I want. What about perjury? Using the words of our mouths to 
reflect on people's lives and, and t say things about them that are going to make them look bad or good in order. Why? To build me up. And so we flatter or we lie or we perjure or we slander in order to get what we want. We're, we do not have clean hands or a pure heart, folks. So there's really this dilemma. The dilemma is this. We want justice. Where is the God of justice? But listen, when justice comes, it is a double-edged sword, and it cuts both ways. Who can stand? Nobody can stand. Which is why it is so wonderful that the judge who comes is Jesus. It has to be Jesus. If it's not Jesus, we're, we're done for. Nobody can stand that judgment's going to come on the world just like the flood came on the world with Noah. Nobody survives. The only people that survive that flood are those in the ark. Those who are in Christ. The one who came, God said that he was going to postpone judgment. In his forbearance, he would delay it until the time that was, that was appointed. And that appointment time was on Good Friday at around noon when judgment fell on the sun. Jesus took that judgment in order to be the one who would be just, meaning that all sins would be punished, and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. And that is how we receive mercy, even though we deserve judgment. Everybody who places their faith in Jesus receives mercy. Do you remember the two thieves on the cross? So you have one thief, and he's mocking Jesus, and he's scorning Jesus, and he's saying things like, you know, hey, Jesus, you think you were this king or whatever. Save yourself and us, you know, prove yourself, etc." And he's just still committed to his, a hardness of his heart. And he's getting what he deserves, no question about it. The other thief is also getting what he deserves. He's a lawbreaker. He doesn't have clean hands or a pure heart. He cannot stand before the Lord. But you know what he does? He says, Jesus, remember me. He confesses his sins. We're getting what we deserve. But Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. That's a fantastic sinner's prayer. Remember me. And he didn't just get judgment. He got mercy. He got the ultimate mercy. Where Jesus promised them, today you'll be with me. Today you will be in heaven. Forgiven of your sins. The pardon has been placed upon you. You are not guilty anymore. And that is what Jesus' gospel does to all of us who do not have clean hands and a pure heart, but have our faith in one who does. Who does have clean hands and a pure heart. So the storm's coming. The judgment's coming. And we have to be in a safe place. We have to be in the ark of Christ. We have to be, um, you know, protected from the fire that's coming, not just the flood. And the, the, the beautiful thing that happens is that those who receive that mercy, those whose hearts really grasp grace, you understand, I am a sinner. I have been forgiven. I deserved judgment, and I've received mercy. But something happens to us. We receive pure religion. 
we receive a transformation in our hearts that makes us like these priests that Malachi is referring to here in verse 3. God says he's going to sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. And then the Lord will have men who bring him offerings in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by. Um, You know what? We in Christ are those who now bring offerings in righteousness. We are those ministers, those priests, um, you know, who now come and we bring our lives as offerings, the fruit of lips, you know, praises and our spiritual gifts and the time and the money that you give in service of God and his kingdom. These are now acceptable to the Lord through Christ. You know, we've been purified. That fire comes and it tests us and it purifies us. And you think about that, that molten metal and the dross gets removed and we realize that now that silversmith, who, um, you know, if you go to Williamsburg, we, we, when we go and visit Rachel now, you, know, you can go to that silversmith shop, and they'll show you how they make spoons. They'll show you how they make those teapots. They'll show you how they make those ornate, uh, really, really beautiful things. And it starts with just that hunk of ore. They remove the impurities. They heat it up. They pound it and hammer it and so on, and they make it into that spoon shape. But that's not enough. Once they've made that shape, they have to file down the edges and they you know, rub it down with another piece of steel or, or um, I don't know, I'm not a silversmith, but anyway. Then they take the steel wool, they polish it down, then they take that um, pumice stone and they make it, re- I mean, just increasingly, gradually, the, 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 um, uh, the grit gets finer and finer and finer to where they're, they're basically rubbing it with ash to get that beautiful, bright, clean polish on it. And you know when the silversmith knows when his work is done? When he can see his reflection. That's when all the polishing and all the rubbing and all the grinding and all that, it's done when he can see his reflection. And along the way, there are grades. I I can sort of see it. Yeah, it's better now. It's better now. That's what he's doing in your life and in mine. Because what he wants in our lives is to see his reflection. You know what he'll see when he's done? And along the way, he'll see men and women and children who are more and more reflecting his heart for the orphans, the widows, the oppressed, those who are working under slave conditions, those who are hungry and need bread, and those who are thirsty and need water, those who are in prison and need to be visited, those who are merciful. Mercy makes you care about justice and rights for those who are voiceless and without protection and so on. That's what God sees in us. The more and more he relates to us his mercy and his grace. He makes us more like him. And he cares about the fatherless and the widows. The Bible says that this is what pure religion looks like. Faultless religion. To care for orphans and widows in their distress to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. God says, you want to know what he requires of you? Love justice. Pursue mercy. Walk humbly with your God. How's your reflection? How's God's reflection in you? It's only the, it's only the gospel that's going to make that reflection of who Jesus is brighter and brighter in our lives. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us reflect more and more of your image. Thank you for restoring your image in us.
through the grace and forgiveness that come through Jesus. And thank you for your commitment to continue to, to polish that image, to, to rub down our rough edges. And certainly there are times uh, when the rubbing hurts, uh, when it rubs against the grain even. And, um, and we pray that we would receive that with, uh, with welcome and open hearts because we know that the work is accomplishing your, your desire in our lives to make us more merciful, to make us have a, a stronger commitment to justice, to care about the poor, to care about the needy, to care about the orphans, to care about the widows, to care about the hungry, to care about the slaves, and to live lives that are mouthpieces and shields for those that don't have a voice and can't protect themselves. Help us to live this way. Help us to live the way you live. Help us in a week and a half to to vote this way. Help us to to live and to act and to, to use our minds and our hearts in ways that see more of your kingdom come and more of your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And we look forward to the day when you will bring your judgment. When you will make everything sad come untrue. When you will bring brightness and glory and the removal of tears from every eye. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.